inaugural episode of the Anything But Fashion podcast. Uh, this is our first podcast on Seam. We're very excited about it. Uh, the Anything But Fashion podcast, uh, just so you know, is going to be a podcast where we talk to designers, industry insiders, uh, and other fashion types about their passions outside of the world of clothing. You know, what was really important when, with us starting this podcast was to talk to designers and, and other people uh, like they're real people because, you know, we love fashion. That's why we have an app where we sell clothes. But, you know, these are well-rounded people. They have they have a lot of interest outside of the world of just being close. So we wanted to talk to them about that. So as always, I am your host, Jake Wolf. I am the editorial director and co-founder of Seam. If you don't know about Seam and somehow you ended up listening to this podcast, just a little brief uh, synopsis of the app is we're basically a platform where we integrate brands own web shops into one place. So what that means is that the brands uh, really love Seam because they get to sell products to you direct to consumer versus having to lose out on a ton of the margin when they wholesale. And for you as a shopper, it's amazing because you get to see every single product that's available on each one of these brands own web shops all in one place. You know, you don't have to jump around, open a million tabs. It's all in one place. You can add to cart, check out all in one transaction. Um, so that's why we really consider Seam to be the best of both worlds in terms of a shopping platform. Um, my first guest today, I'm very excited about, uh, it's Garrett Light. Is a brand that we carry on Seam. Um, you might know him for making some of the best sunglasses in the world. You might also have seen this past week that his sunglasses were being worn by the likes of Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio um, in Cannes, obviously a very fancy place over in the south of France. Um, they were promoting the premiere of Once, a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Quentin Tarantino movie that we're all excited about. Um, and they both were actually wearing um, on the red carpet over there, were wearing some Garrett Light sunglasses. Um, the reason behind that, I'm actually wearing a pair right now as we're recording this, um, is that is that um, Garrett makes some of the best eyeglasses and sunglasses in the game. You know, earlier this year, he collaborated with Justin Saunders, a.k.a. Jound, on a pair of eyeglasses that basically sold like a pair of Yeezy sneakers. Um, you know, the, the, I think there was some crazy resale price on those. I think they retailed for around $340. Um, but it's probably the only eyeglasses I've ever seen that have moved off the shelves uh, that quick. Um, anyone who's ever worn his eyeglasses knows that they're some of the best in the game. But on today's podcast, I talked to Garrett about golf. Um you know, I, every time I post on social media, on Twitter or Instagram about golf, it really, it doesn't pop off like some of my other fashion or sneaker tweets um, or, or posts, but it's something that I've always loved. You know, I, I personally, I started playing golf when I was around 12, uh, caught the bug early. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I worked at a country club, um, you know, washing carts at first. And then, you know, you sort of get upgraded to the pro shop. Um, and I just, you know, played every single day when, you know, between junior and senior year of high school, got pretty good. And, you know, ever since I moved to New York City, it's something that uh, every time I get to play and get out of the city is something that, that I really cherish. And, and it's a game that I love. Um, you know, even for people out there who, who aren't big golf fans, I think that, you know, listening to this podcast will, will be very beneficial because, you know, we talk about, you know, things that are relatable across the board about why golf is such a, a personal battle and really reflects life um, in that way where, you know, you make a mistake and, you know, you can sort of point to the outside world and, and blame it on the ball, blame it on, on your lie, blame it on, you know, the wind or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's it's a sport that comes down to, to just you and how you sort of handle the situation, handle the elements. So on the podcast, I talked to Garrett um, about our love for the game. I talked to him about the uh, amazing comeback of Tiger Woods this year at the 2019 Masters that had both of us uh, on our couches in our living rooms, uh, crying, uh, not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> we were, uh, grown men across the country were crying watching Tiger Woods win the 2019 Masters. We also talked about the new number one golfer in the world, Brooks Kepka, who just won the 2019 PGA Championship at Bethpage Blackout in Long Island, um, and why 
I'm a huge fan of Brooks Kepka. I think the dude is awesome, but Garrett is not such a huge fan of Brooks. We got into that. Talked about his best round ever, you know, where he plays and where the game of golf is going and how, how you, how, you know, the game can be a little bit better to getting, uh, kids and kids from different backgrounds involved. So go ahead and take a listen to the podcast. I hope everyone out there enjoys it. First episode of anything but fashion. Super excited. Take a listen, everyone. All right. Hey, Garrett Light, thank you so much for joining me on the anything but fashion podcast. Um, So today we're talking about golf. You know, you and I are both very passionate about golf. So just to start off, you know, why don't you just tell me a little bit about, you know, your experience um, early in your life with the game? When did you first start playing? Um, I'm from Los Angeles and um, I probably started playing golf when I was about 13 years old um, in 1997. Um, The way my memory uh, remembers that it's just Tiger Woods. Um, he won the 97 Masters, um, and there was just a lot of press and hype around it. And I lived really close to a public golf course called Rancho Park uh, in West LA. And I think um, I think my uncle just took me out. He golfed a little bit when he was a kid, and he hadn't done it in a really long time. And then it kind of just became like a weekend thing. Like some neighborhood kids and I would, you know, go down to the range or go play the little par three course at Rancho. And that was pretty much my introduction to the game as a teenager. Um, What do you remember about that 97 masters? Just like, you know, just as a cultural moment for you, you know, being a 13 year old, uh, just watching it on TV. um, Just that a teenager had won against all the hype, um, you know, he was almost, I feel like I wouldn't say that he was expected to win, but there was just a lot of hype and he kind of, um, lived up to it. So, um, and he won his first masters, if I'm not mistaken, he maybe played it when he was in, in college once, but this was like him turning pro the year he turned pro. So it was like, I think it was the second masters, but his first as a pro and, um, yeah, you know, he's just all the hype about him and how he was ranked so highly and, basically dominated the college circuit and juniors and was great um, his whole life and was sort of like supposed to be the best golfer ever. And and he lived up to it. So that's really what I remember. I don't, um, you know, I don't recall the rounds or, um, you know, the, the, the final score or anything. Just, you know, he won it and it was exciting. Absolutely. And so these days, you know, I feel like, you know, you're living in Los Angeles. I'm here in New York. So I get pretty jealous of you out there because uh, you get to play all winter. So how often are you playing these days? Um, probably four times a month. Um, it's not always once a week, but um, yeah, I try to play three or four times a month if I can. Um, I get out really early on a weekday or maybe once a month I'll go out with my buddies on a weekend. Um, but yeah, I, I really try to get out there. I've, I've really made a, a point to kind of do it. It's like my yoga, it's my therapy, it's my hiking. So, uh, um, not that I shouldn't do those as well, but it's really my thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you belong to a country club out there or sort of where do you, uh, where do you usually play? Yeah. I joined a country club last year. Um, sort of the entry level country club, if you will. It's called Mountain Gate Country Club. It's awesome though. It's by the Getty Center. It's beautiful up there. We have 27 holes, lots of deer and wildlife. And, um, in the morning, it's amazing. Um, but I'm not, I've got nothing against public golf. There's some great public golf courses in LA. And sometimes I'm fortunate enough to get invited to some private courses. Um, and just love the game so much. I would never turn that down either. So, um, 
I would say the majority of my rounds I'm playing at Mountain Gate, um, but I still hit up the public courses with friends. Yeah, what, what in your experience, all the years you've been playing, what's the nicest course you've ever played at, and and you know what made it so special? It's a really good question. Um, the most beautiful course experience I've ever had is um, Pebble Beach. I mean, it's just hard to beat it because there's just like 16 holes on the water. Um, so you can't really top that in the facility and it's just really cute <laughs> for lack of a better word. It's got like an old charm to it. And, uh, like the tap room is really cool. And just the whole property is, um, amazing from, you know, and there's a lot of golf out there, but Pebble was my favorite. Um, and it's always, in, I mean, it's, it's always in pretty much mint condition. Um, but I've been lucky to play some great courses. Um, Beth Page is beautiful. I've played there and, um, I played the golf national in France, which is really beautiful. Um, I've played Chambers Bay. That's probably actually I forgot about that. Chambers Bay in, in Tacoma, Washington is probably my second favorite behind Pebble. Um, you can't really beat golf on the ocean. Isn't Chambers Bay sort of the one that got a lot of like negative attention from the players when they had the U.S. Open there because of just the condition of it? Did you did you have a similar experience there, or did you find it to be much better than than sort of advertised on TV? Much better than advertised on TV. I loved it. I, I don't. I remember that they all complained about that tournament. Um, but I can't see why. I think the course is great. I don't know. Too hard? They said it was too hard or something? I think they said the greens were in bad condition. Yeah, bad condition. Yeah, That's possible. It, it seemed fine when I was there. So to go back, you know, you said a, a little bit that golf is sort of, you know, your, your therapy, your, your yoga. Um, I, you know, it's one of those interesting things I think about golf, you know, because a lot of people do say that, but at the same time, you know, I think anyone who plays it can, can attest to the sort of day in and day out frustrations of, of the actual game itself. So, I mean, I just want to get your thoughts on, on just the irony of the sport that way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more than anything I've ever done. It's the biggest combination of just like, um, physical and mental challenge, um, in any sport or anything I've done in life. And, and, and I really thoroughly enjoy it. Um, it wasn't until two years ago when I took my first lesson that the obsession really got crazy because um, I was always a natural, but I didn't understand anything about the swing. I kind of just did it like an athlete, um, you know, just kind of good hand-eye coordination. Um, but once I took some lessons, that's when I really began to learn maybe why my ball does certain things. And that's sort of when I got crazy. In fact, I actually sometimes recommend to some of my friends not to ever get a lesson if they don't really want to, if they're not looking to consume their body and mind with golf, uh, just because once you kind of learn things, it's unbelievable how the mi- most minor things can um, affect your ball flight. And sometimes they're not even related to swing, just mental thoughts. Um, I think maybe just the time in between uh, the, the way the game is played. Maybe, you know, I've played all the sports and basketball. It's like, you're really sweating and moving a lot. So you don't really have all that much time to think about things, um, that may, that could be negative, like for, you know, making or missing a shot. Um, it could be that. Um, but yeah, it's just unique in that way. It's, it's pretty, um, it's just a great mental challenge. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I think more than, you know, more, more than any other sport, you know, it really is just you versus the elements, you know, it's, there's, it's funny, you know, every time a, a golfer, myself included, you know, you hit a bad shot and you sort of 
look to anything out there that sort of messed you up. Like, but at the end of the day, it's a sport where it's really just you and you to blame if things go good or if things go badly, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, to go, to go back a little bit, um, to, to tiger. So, you know, obviously tiger woods winning the masters earlier this year was a huge moment for golf and for sports. Um, I feel like I seem to recall and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I seem to recall that, you know, when, when we had talked, um, last year about all of this, that you were a little down on tiger that you said, you know, you didn't think that he was actually going to come back and, and win a major. Correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I seem to recall it that way. Yeah. I don't think I, I think there was a long period. I, I was with the millions of people that kind of thought he was done, which is why I think it was so special when he actually won because, you know, it was probably more than 50% of the people who just said, you know, he doesn't have it anymore. I think I was part of that. Um, mostly just because I've also watched my dad have some of these back injuries and stuff like that. And it's just so hard to recover from so many of the injuries he's had and, and the force that he put into his older swings. And um, I kind of thought it was a combination of mental and physical. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you had asked me two years ago or three years ago, um, I mean, I think maybe it's been like two years since he's been playing better golf. I may have changed my mind. I think we spoke before last season. So I think 2018, he was he was playing really well and he won that tournament in Georgia. Um, and probably right around then, I was like, okay, he can if he can win that, you know, he can he can pretty much win any tournament. Um, but um, I still, I mean, I still, I think the days of him dominating like the way he used to are probably behind us, but this is a sport where you can perform at a high level into an older age. So I think, uh, we'll see plenty of great tiger moments ahead of us, but it's not going to be at the, well, my prediction would be, it wouldn't be at the pace that we're used to, but, um, yeah, I'll be wrong. Where were you watching the, this year's masters? Was it, and you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to admit that, you know, when I was watching, I got on the 18th, all him walking up sort of with two shot lead, knowing that all he had to do was make five to win, uh, you know, seeing his mom in the crowd, seeing his, his children, it, it, it was emotional for a lot of people. I definitely got choked up. Did you have a similar experience? I did for sure. Yeah. I think I was just home watching it in my, um, kind of converted garage and cave thing. Um, yeah, I, um, it was special. Yeah. I definitely got choked up. It was, it was amazing. You know, I, you know, for, for better, even if I didn't think he was going to come back, I never, I've always loved Tiger Woods. You know, I think everybody wanted him to win. So it was really, it was really great. He's been through it so much, you know, so, um, yeah, sort of, sort of like one of those being successful. Yeah. One of those crazy things where it's like, you know, this one, one guy who, you know, a a decade ago was sort of, I mean, I, I think I read a crazy statistic that, that the Tiger Woods scandal from 10 years ago, which, you know, is crazy to even think about it was 10 years ago. I think it had more weeks in a row on the front page of the National Enquirer or whatever that tabloid magazine is than 9-11 did. It had more consecutive weeks on the cover than 9-11. Well, that doesn't surprise me. That's the type of stuff itself. Yeah, right? So just to like, you know, go from that to like 10 years later, it's sort of like grown men across the country uh, crying on their living room couches um, was definitely like a, a really special moment, but, um, to, to bring it into the present day, you know, something that I, that I asked you, uh, last week while we were, you know, talking about doing this podcast, um, was just a, a, about, you know, sort of like the new dominant figure in the sport, Brooks Kepka, who, you, you know, you said you think is a great golfer, but you're not necessarily a, a fan of. So I just want to have you sort of expound upon that for a little bit. Cause I, I personally love the guy. Yeah. I don't know if I'm totally in touch with why I don't like him. I think, 
um, his comments are just, well, I know one comment that really rubs me the wrong way in which he said that he doesn't really like golf and he comes from a baseball family, which I come from a baseball family and I also love golf. So I don't, I don't really see the crossover there. Plus I love golf so much that it just kind of, maybe, yeah, it just kind of sucks that the, like the best golfer in the world, uh, takes it for granted. It's almost like he doesn't realize how special and how hard it is. Um, that's sort of how I take a comment like that. Um, so that, that was said like a couple of years ago, I think. And the, I don't know, that, that was weird to me. Um, but then he always has like really, um, sort of wild comments. And, and I think the sum of it for me is just, it kind of just seems like he really, really wants, sort of like LeBron used to be like, just really wants people to like him. And, and that always makes it harder for me to like somebody. You, when, you said he, he really wants so people hard. to like him. Um, are you there? Yeah, he said. You said he really wants people to like him. Yeah, I kind of get that feeling. It doesn't come naturally to him, you know, communication and and his personality. I think he's not, you know, a lot of these. And also, I got to give a lot of these guys a break because they're they're groomed to be so great at such a young age. They don't do a lot of socializing, especially in individual sports. You know, um, I come from a tennis. I played tennis in college, so um, a lot of those kids were sheltered, if you will. So um, the media part. Uh, just less natural to them, I think. But that's just the general feeling I get about him. But he obviously has that it factor. He can turn it on whenever he wants, and he usually wants to do that at majors. And I think we're going to see so many more uh, trophies raised by him. For Doesn't sure. just in general. I mean, part. I mean, part of the reason why I'm, I'm, I think I'm sort of enamored by by him. I think there's something. It's not. I don't know if cool is the right word, but there's something really interesting about you know, a guy who's the best at their sport who like doesn't really give a shit about it, you know, like, I, I don't know. There's just something kind of, kind of cool about that to me. I don't know. He just, and, and I think he probably plays it up a little bit more than, you know, I don't like straight up not liking the sport, but just in the sense that, y- you know, he says in the off season, he'll take legitimately six weeks off and not pick up a club. Whereas, you know, you see all these other guys probably, you know, doing videos, other swings and practicing every little minute detail. And the dude, like just, just doesn't he treats it like a job and and I don't know that to me there's just something that's kind of interesting about being that dominant and also being very uh, nonchalant about the whole thing. Perhaps interesting, not but for me just that's just not inspiring. Like treating anything like a job, especially if you're great at it, just is like that just doesn't inspire me. Like I, I think he shouldn't do it. Then <laughs> I mean he does, nobody's forcing him. You know I mean he makes a lot of money and I understand all that, but. I, I think he likes it a little more than he is willing to admit. And I just don't understand why, why like, Yeah, I, I, I just don't, I don't find that comment to be true on his behalf. Did you happen to see the clip of him at the final round where, uh, his poor girlfriend tried to like kiss him twice and he sort of denied her twice? Uh huh. What do you think about that? What? What did you, what did you think about that? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I wouldn't want to be kissed on camera like that. That, that, that that's a that's a natural moment. I, <laughs> I mean, not to kiss on camera. I just like if I was, you know, if I was about to start a match, I was probably thinking a little bit nervous. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. That that didn't bother me at all. So, so the 2019 PGA Championship that Brooks just won was played at Bethpage Black, uh, a course that that uh, you and I attempted to play last year. I just wanted to know if you sort of wanted to give a quick retelling of our sort of disaster from, from last year, at least from my perspective, you know, you were fortunate enough to, to go back several weeks later and actually play the course. But uh, our, our first go at it was, was kind of a, in hindsight, a very hilarious attempt to play one of the nicest courses in the country. 
Yeah, it was a disaster. It poured down rain on us. It was came down at the worst time, and then it, it, when it went away, it was beautiful out. Had we come in a little bit later time, we probably would have played it no problem. Um, so, yeah, I was relatively de- devastated that day. <laughs> but with that said, it was a great memory, and um, I really enjoyed watching the 17th hole because we must have taken 15 tee shots in the pouring rain there wait, waiting for it to clear up. Um, so kind of had that memory. Yeah. So, so for those, for those out there who don't know, you know, uh, you know, uh, Garrett and I, we tried to play Bethpage Black, which is a really special golf course, um, for a number of reasons, not only because, you know, the PGA championship was just held there and they've hosted, uh, you know, FedEx cup playoffs there and they, uh, have hosted two U S opens there. But the thing that makes it most special is that it's one of the hardest courses in the country, but it's a f- fully public golf course. It was the first time that they played, uh, the U S open on a fully public golf course, you know, for, for a New York resident, if you're a big golfer, um, you can go pay, play Beth page black for something like $65, which, you know, by comparison, of course, that Garrett mentioned Pebble beach, Garrett, correct me if I'm wrong, is something like $400 around, right? $600. $600. So just to, for comparison, you know, you get to play a course that the best players in the world, literally just a lot of them got eaten alive by at, at the black course. And you, you can play for $65 for in-state residents. Um, so yeah, we, we tried to play it last year, um, it just started drizzling when we arrived really early in the morning. Um, we went to the range, it started raining a little harder. And by the time we got to the first tee, it was just torrential downpours. Um, and for me, you know, having seen both U.S. Opens played there was, and uh, it being a, a course that I've always wanted to play my whole life, you know, we, we basically, by the time we got to the first green, if you remember, I mean, the, we couldn't putt on the first green. It was completely waterlogged. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a pond at that point. And so, you know, that, that was a super bummer, but, you know, Garrett did end up going, uh, to play it later. So just out of curiosity, you know, what was your experience like the, the time you actually did, did get to play it? It was great. We were, um, if I remember correctly, it was four singles or maybe it was like two singles and a double and, and a twosome. Um, and we were all like in our thirties. Um, I mean, maybe the twosome played it a little more often. The other guy was kind of like me, like had been dreaming of playing there, um, everybody's just, the mood is just, you know, I don't know. Like it's, I felt the same way at Pebble where it's almost like I blacked out to the point where it's like, I, I, you know, I was just sort of in awe of the experience. I didn't really care how I performed. I didn't put any pressure on myself. It was just a really special place to be. Um, so, um, yeah, that's what I remember. I mean, I was exhausting. I played it in September. It was hot. It's really hardcore to walk. It's really long. Um, so what was your score uh, if you don't that, mind sharing? Uh, could be why I blacked out too. What was your score um, if you don't mind sharing? But um, yeah, it was just extremely special. I, I've heard people describe Augusta as a religious experience, and I feel like that change is the the pub, public version of that. Um, it's like it's yeah, it's really unbelievable. So so I was trying to ask, um, what was your score there? If you don't mind me asking, I think I had a generous eighty nine. Um, I think. Uh, I know I scored, I, I carded an 89, but I call it generous just because that page is brutal. You can hit a pretty good drive and it'll roll off the fairway and you know where it is, but you kind of just like can't find your ball. Like something which, you know, if the pros were doing that, so many cameras and whatnot, that that would never happen. Um, so I don't remember shot. I kind of remember a lot of the shots, but I think I had a, a couple, like I knew my ball was right there. I just couldn't find it. Cause the rough is just ridiculous. Like I'd say a generous 89. Because the rough is just so ridiculous, even if it's like you you see it roll in, you're just like I have no idea where it is. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I sprayed it, I penalized myself, but if it was like hit the fairway and rolled into the rough and I couldn't find it, I, I kind of would just, I think I, once or twice I just did that. Yeah. Or maybe I gave myself like a three footer at one point because the greens there are insane too. <laughs> I mean, they're so tiny too. Yeah. They're tiny. So. Um, so, so something interesting, you know, um, you know, you, you talk about learning golf, like with your uncle playing it sort of as a, as a family sport, I think like the big, the big thing about it, um, that makes it so difficult and, and, you know, what the sport, you know, from the professional level down, what they have a hard time doing is sort of getting, uh, younger generations and maybe people who don't come from, you know, affluent backgrounds into the game. Is that something you've spent any time thinking about or, or what are your thoughts about how, you know, younger kids or kids from different backgrounds can, can pick up the game and start loving it the way that you and I do. Yeah, I mean, there is um, definitely like a movement going on in golf right now, and I think some of the younger brands that are popping up are trying to um, grow the game through youth and, and um, people from different backgrounds. And um, there are public golf courses all over in, in different kinds of communities. We, we have one in Compton, the Compton um uh, it's not even a part of three. It's like an executive course. And, uh, you know, Venice has become more affluent, but Venice has always had one. Um, you know, you can go into East LA and, and there is golf everywhere and it is affordable in some of those places. Um, you know, you can get a bucket of balls for three bucks in some of these driving ranges. And, um, you know, they have local fees can be like $12 to play nine holes. So, um, you know, I think, and then there are like, um, like I was mentioning, some of the emerging brands in golf are putting together organizations and some of the young golfers, um, I know like Tony Finau and some other ones have engaged different communities to help uh, grow the game. So um, I think it's, you know, it's definitely, golf definitely has a little bit of like a rich white people problem um, and it takes a long time and it's certainly perceived as, you know, for a certain type of person, but it's a special game. I think you can really learn a lot about yourself. And I think, you know, um, everybody deserves the opportunity to kind of, you know, learn about it. Yeah. I think even for me throughout the game, it definitely has been a, a way for me to sort of learn, you know, I think, I, I think they're like sort of those cheesy commercials for like that first, you know, no, no offense to first tee, but like that kid's program where they like show a kid, you know, picking up, uh, like a piece of paper that a, that an old person dropped. And it's like, look what first tee taught me. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, like other lessons about sort of like patience. And, you know, when I was a kid and I would, I would play golf, I definitely was, had a little bit of like a temper problem. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've learned to sort of like chill out about, you know, hitting bad shots and, and, and all that. But, you know, for you, what are some of the lessons, you know, outside of the course or some of the things that you learned on the course, maybe about yourself that you've been able to apply to other areas of your life? Yeah, um, I had a temper problem as a kid too, and I've definitely learned to laugh at the bad shots, um, which I can certainly apply to my personal life. I mean, things aren't always going to go the way that you want them to go, and um, sometimes you're going to get unlucky, and um, you got to laugh it off and keep on, um, you know, trying. And uh, that's pretty much um, the game of golf. Um, and, um, just like interacting with people and communicate, you know, you spend, you know, spending four hours on a golf course with people for a long period of time. A lot of my friends didn't play golf, so I would play a lot alone and I would just meet a lot of different people and I would do it a lot when I traveled. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's taught me a lot about that, but yeah, mostly just about myself and my attitude and, um, 
you know, finding ways to sort of calm myself and, and, you know, quote unquote pressure situations, I started to play a little bit more competitive golf, just like at the club playing tournaments and stuff. And I've never experienced anything like that where your heart's beating and you're trying to make like a short putt. It's way harder than any other sport that I've ever played when I needed to, you know, needed to have that moment. So I think just like focusing, um, visualizing, it's taught me a lot about visualizing my, my future. Um, I've noticed a lot of times when I can clear my mind and visualize a putt going in or a shot being hit a certain way, um, the mechanics sort of go out of the window because I know that they're in me. And um, a lot of times I like the results. So I've tried to apply that a little bit to my work or you know anything personal life, just that idea of visualizing um, greatness, if you will. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So, so before we wrap up here, I just wanted to um, get your uh, just a story about like you know what was your best round that you've ever played and and what was that experience like? Where was it? What was the score? All that. Yeah, um, my best. Honestly, like I think the most important one to talk about is is just the front nine that I played recently at Woodland Hills. Um, I read this book called Zen Golf, and it's exactly about what I was just talking about. Just clearing your mind, not swinging if you have bad thoughts in your head, visualizing putts going in, not trying to like read, like read a line and then just the last thought in your head is visualize the ball going in the hole. And I was two under through nine holes. Um, and then Woodland Hills has a really bad reputation for their back nine um, being really hard. And I, and I lost it and I shot like seven or eight over. So it wasn't my best score. Um, but that was my greatest nine moments. I was so in the zone and I don't know, I, I have this kind of personality. Like when I read books, particularly about anything like that, like Zen or visualizing things or anything that's like, you know, about that stuff, they really like, I don't know, they inspire me. They like take over me. And, um, it really works. Um, so that was probably the most memorable moment on a golf course. So I was playing with friends too. And I had told them before about that. I had read, that golf and they were just like wow you are like i didn't miss a putt like everything every shot was perfect i had you know i had like eight out of nine greens in regulation i made almost all my putts um that was probably my most memorable middle score ever is a 76 um wow. I shot it at my club and um i think i just got a lot of good bounces that day <laughs> i wasn't i wasn't doing the visualizing thing at that time i was just playing well and and um you can play well and get really bad bounces and have a bad score. Like, and they're just like multiply, you know, you hit a car path and a ball sticks in the tree. Like <laughs> I've seen the most ridiculous things. I've seen guys skull balls into flat flags and the ball goes straight down into the hole. Like, you know, it's a silly, it can be silly. So anyways, for me, that's probably the most memorable time on a golf course. And that was about nine months ago. Yeah. So I have still never broken 80 I'm playing on, on Sunday this week. Uh, hoping that that'll be the day. Um, probably won't, but you know, that's, that's sort of right where that's what keeps you going is any of every round you're always like, well, tomorrow I'll do, I'll do that thing better. And I think that's sort of what makes, what makes golf so special and so addicting is because there, you know, like we said, it is all about you, but then there are so many little things that happen over the course of four hours on a golf course that, you that'll just play on repeat over and over and over in your head and to me at least that's that's what makes going back so so much fun because you can always there's always something that you can do better yeah you should read uh you should read zen golf i'm sure you can break 80 it's also hard to break 80 in new york one thing i've noticed is um i um what was i gonna say sorry i lost my chance yeah you were saying about new york yeah the more i play the better i am 
for sure. And uh, being in New York, you're not playing as much. So, you know, you can't, it's going to be hard to break 80 when you're playing only in the summertime. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's obviously, you know, why, you know, like I said at the very beginning, it's so envious to watch someone who lives in Los Angeles because, you know, you're just getting that, that 12... 12 months a year, uh, sort of experience. But, you know, at the same time, I think being, being here on the East coast, my whole life, you know, it's, it makes it so that, you know, you, you know, the first day you get out there, the first few times that you have the chance to get out there during the spring, you just appreciate it, appreciate it so much. Um, because you know, you know, you, there are six months out of the year when it's just unplayable and, you know, I'll try and sneak out there when it's cold out, just hit a few balls on, on a fairway, but having like the full experience, uh, definitely makes it special. Um, all right. So that's pretty much it. So I just want to thank you again, Garrett, for joining us on the Anything But Fashion podcast. And um, I hope to see you either out in LA or in New York and we can uh, play another round sometime soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd love to get out of that page with you. Of course. All right. Talk to you later, man. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Garrett Light, uh, the Anything But Fashion podcast, the podcast where we talk to fashion industry insiders about their passions outside of the world of clothing. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Uh, in the meantime, like I said earlier, if you have not downloaded Seam or listening to this podcast on any other platform, please download the app. As always, enter the daily drop. Seam is probably the only platform out there that I know of that gives away a free product every single day on the app. All you've got to do is open up your app at eight in the morning enter the drop for completely free. And at the end of the day, we buy that product for one lucky user out there. Um, as well as, you know, check out all the brands that we have on the platform. Um, that's pretty much it. We'll be back next week. Thanks everyone for listening. 